Several Seahawks veterans cashed in on Friday. What does that mean for the roster and salary cap for the Seahawks? Find out in our latest edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily podcast covering everything Seahawks and part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Glad to be joined for Blue Friday by my co-host Nick Lee and a special thanks to all the 12s out there as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. End of the week, we've got plenty on tap on today's show. We're going to continue our free agent frenzy with the AFC South, looking at a handful of pending free agents that may pique the interest of the Seahawks. Nick and I are going to kick out our first top 10 big board heading into the 2023 NFL Draft and much more. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. The NFL offseason calendar is chock full of a ton of important dates, and they can be slightly different for certain teams around the league. Obviously, the NFL draft and free agency, those come at the same time for all 32 teams. But there are other dates that have significance individually for franchises, and Friday just happened to be one of those days for the Seahawks, and it came and went without any moves by the front office which means four players in particular are seeing green and were smiling ear to ear today, including Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. Nick, four players for the Seahawks having guarantees kick in fully locked now for the 2023 season. And it sets in motion that these four players will indeed be on the roster for the Seahawks in 2023 for better or for worse. Right. And of course, chief among them is, is Quandre Diggs, three straight Pro Bowl seasons. And uh, part, at least uh, a majority or a portion of his, of his contract becomes fully guaranteed. But yeah, you're you're talking about two your your premier safeties. And really, you know, you we're really truly yet to see the full potential of this dynamic safety duo with uh, Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. But um, it, and Will Disley, of course, that, that's that contract has ca- caused a little bit of hand wringing with how much they paid him. Um, so that one might be a little bit of the four, I'd say that one and, and Jamal Adams too. Those are two are, are question marks a little bit now. And then of course, DK Metcalf. So you got DK Metcalf on the offensive side, Quandre Diggs on the defense too, uh, of your, of your stalwarts of this team moving forward, especially, um, you know, with the defense with Quandre Diggs, some argue that he might've had a down year, but still a pro bowl season by, by Diggs. But, um, certainly it, it could have been a more turbulent day, but it wasn't. And as far as Metcalf and Quandre Diggs go, two key pieces moving forward are now um, a little bit happier today, for sure. Yeah, Quandre Diggs today, I actually had an article about this uh, salary cap ramifications and stuff like that. And he just happened to quote tweet it today and was mentioning how he wanted to get his money in hundreds. And so I know that he was extremely excited over 13 million in base salary for Quandre Diggs fully guaranteed now for next season for anybody that was speculating with his cap hit being 18 plus million, whether the Seahawks were going to do something on that front. Well, 
He was second to the team in interceptions, made another Pro Bowl. So, no, they didn't do anything. He is going to get paid the money that he signed for on his three-year contract last year. And Jamal Adams, a little over $2 million of his base salary becoming fully guaranteed against injury. That already had clicked in anyway because of what happened last year. So he is going to be on the roster, too. Both those guys have dead cap hits north of $20 million if the Seahawks decided to release them. So they would have to eat extra money. It's not happening. Those two guys are going to be in the starting lineup next September as long as they are healthy. As for the other two names that you mentioned, Will Disley, his cap hit a little over $9 million. He's coming back from an injury of his own, although his was a broken bone. He should be good to go well before the start of the season and obviously had a career high in receptions and receiving yards this year. So they're excited to see what he does in another season in Shane Waldron's offense and hopefully another season catching passes from Geno Smith. And maybe the other player that made the most money today and had the biggest smile, not just because he got the Celebrity All-Star Game MVP and was throwing down dunks on other celebrities today, but DK Metcalf, $2.22 million base salary fully guaranteed and a $12 million option fully guaranteed now. So Jerry Maguire, anybody show me the money. Quandre Diggs and DK Metcalf being the beneficiaries here. And as I mentioned, with all the cap numbers here, three of these four players have a cap number above $10 million this year, but they are three of your most important players. When Jamal Adams is healthy, he is one of your most important players. You gave up the draft picks and gave him the contract you did because he's a perennial all pro when he's healthy you're hoping he can return to that form we've seen what DK Metcalf can do we've seen what Quandre Diggs can do and so while there was some speculation out there amongst fans it's really not a surprise that John Schneider didn't make any moves in this front terminating contracts or anything of that nature before the state because all four of these players even with Adams the injuries he's had all four of them are considered foundational pieces moving forward for this football team yeah, and you know this, this is it's not a super marquee day on on the schedule. Certainly, you know when the, the new league year and free agency hits, and there are a few decisions to be made down the road. Especially, uh, you know, Shelby Harris, I think, is is one that's that's coming down the pipeline here as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's that time of year, and of course with uh, with Jamal Adams and, and and Will Disley coming off injury, and you want Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams to both be healthy, and I think if they're both operating at their at their peak, at what we've seen, not necessarily, you know, we talk about upside a lot, but we're talking about what we've seen on the NFL football field that these two have done when they are, when they are both performing at the highest level, it's hard to take, you know, a different safety duo than those two. But unfortunately we haven't really seen that materialize yet. And you, we're just crossing our fingers that that 2023 is finally that year. As you mentioned, the other player that the Seahawks are going to have to make a decision on here in the near future is Shelby Harris, because he has a $2 million roster bonus that will trigger on March 22nd. Now that's a week into free agency. And so Seattle's going to have to make a decision before that point, whether they're going to try to extend Shelby Harris. If they cut him outright, they can save almost $9 million against the cap doing that. Maybe they hang on to him with this current contract and, and try to do something down the road, but it's going to be hard to do anything in free agency without making a move on that front. So I'm anticipating we're going to see an extension or a cap casualty with Shelby Harris because of that contract, that huge cap hit that's north of $12 million. So John Schneider, he's got plenty of difficult decisions to make. There's some 
dates coming up on the calendar that are certainly going to be important. And while this is all going on, he's going to be out going to an assortment of pro days and his scouts are going to be going to pro days. The combine is coming up. So with that in mind, Nick, we're really excited about this. We're going to be dishing out our first top 10 big boards of the draft season. We'll have a chance to maybe modify these after we get through the combine and some of the pro days, but you and I are going to dish out our top 10 big boards for the 2023 NFL draft coming up next year on our Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Alderman Pro Football GM. I'm really geeked out about our new sponsor, of today's episode, the mobile game, Alderman Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise like John Schneider does with the Seahawks, your dream can come true. And this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team. Play through the season and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for everything from hiring the right coaches and coordinators to trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of a season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. I'm trying trying my best to emulate John Schneider right now and make the most of my draft choices because the Honolulu Sharks, it has been a struggle for us the first couple of years of our franchise. I want to turn them into a perennial powerhouse. Alderman Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want, when you want to. It's a blast and our listeners should join in on the fun in their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners can get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download the game by going to alderman-gm.com or look it up in the app stores. That's alderman-gm.com. Alderman Football GM, start your dynasty today. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined in today's show by my co-host, Nick Lee. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Idaho, you're listening in Utah, or you're across overseas listening in London. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Nick, the last couple times that we've gotten together on this show, it's been all free agency oriented for the most part. And I know that you've been chomping at the bit a little bit to talk some about this upcoming draft because, you know, the Seahawks have four picks in the first 52. So this is a very critical draft for the Seahawks after making the playoffs. They want to take that next step forward. And to get into this draft process, now that we've got the combine coming up soon, we've got pro day set to kick off across the country. It's time to dish out our top 10 big boards. And I'm going to give you the mic first because you have been itching for the opportunity to talk about some of these prospects. And oh, by the way, Seattle's got the number five pick. So they're going to have a chance to get some of these players if they want with that early top 10 selection. Yeah, I certainly hope with a number five pick, if they stay there, that they take one of these 10 players we talk about today. Um, you know that, that John Schneider and Pete Carroll are certainly worth uh, a surprise or two. But um, going for just a top 10 big board overall, um, just starting with 10 and going up to one, you know, Christian Gonzalez and Devin Witherspoon, I think, are fantastic defensive backs. I, I think that they're the cream of the crop as far as that goes. Um, Quinton Johnston is the receiver out of TCU. I think he's He's got star potential. He's got a little, I know, I know it's a, a low hanging fruit with the number he wears and kind of his hair, you know, the uh, Deandre Hopkins type. I think he really, I think he really can get there. And uh, Tyree Wilson is, is a guy I've seen a lot mocked to the Seahawks at five would not shock me one bit. If the Seahawks are at five and you know, those consensus top four or five guys are taken that Tyree w Wilson is a Seahawk miles Murphy. I just, I just like the versatility um, along the edge and, and defensive or on the defensive line there. And like I said before, I'm, I'm really, really, really hoping the Seahawks 
go a, a lot really heavy on the trenches, especially on, along the defensive line. Um, Paris Johnson, another one. Not that I expect the Seahawks to take or be interested in a ton to use that top pick in, in Paris Johnson, but I think he's probably the top tackle in this draft. Another kid from, I think, is Northwestern is, is up there as well. Um, and then the, the consensus top four, in my opinion. And it's a real bummer. I'm still steaming at the last <laughs> the week 18 result between the, the Texans and the Colts because now I'm thinking, you know, the Seahawks are, are at five and they have these top five, four guys that are probably there's a likelihood that they're not going to be there. Number four, CJ Stroud. I think he's um, he's got all the tools you want a quarterback. He's got the, you know, he's been battle tested. I, I get the, the Ohio State you know, stigma. Justin Fields might be starting to buck that a little bit. Um, but I think he just has all the traits you want. Will Anderson is one of the one of the freakiest athletes. Um, it's certainly on the defensive side of the ball in this whole draft. He's got the production. You know, he's faced top tier talent in the SEC. And you know, they're pretty much NFL minor leagues at this point. <laughs> and Bryce Young, I just I was a little on the fence with him, honestly, until I watched the Sugar Bowl. The Sugar Bowl really pushed me over the edge. You know, I just was worried about his size, you know, a little bit, but just watching how electric he was in that Sugar Bowl, the accuracy, just the playmaking ability, so tantalizing. And then I think we can both agree, Corbin, number one, Jalen Carter. I'm not going to say, you know, next Aaron Donald, but, you know, the Chris Jones type, just a disrupting interior defensive lineman that is so valuable in this league. Fletcher Cox, you know, you saw it on display in the NFL playoffs and in, in the Super Bowl to, to a certain extent if they can get their footing on the turf. Um, but, you know, it's just there's that premier – they put a premium lately on interior line, and I think Jalen Carter is about as good as it comes in the last few years. Yeah, I think you and I can agree on the top three prospects. And in that order, that's the same order for me on my big board. And Jalen Carter, I know that we've had some listeners that have sent us questions about this in our mailbag, and we've touched on it already. You look at the stats. The stats don't pop off the page. He doesn't have a ton of sacks. But he has a lot of pressures, especially if you look at advanced stats. This is a guy that when you watch the film is an absolute game wrecker. And I also think coming into the league that this is one of those players that projects to be a much better NFL player than college player. And the big reason why Georgia runs so many twist stunts and how many sacks do their outside edge rushers get because of what the interior guys do. And that is the case here when we're talking about Jalen Carter. And I just think in the NFL with his athleticism, there's some things he's got to shore up. He's got to refine on, but he's a stout run defender. He can one gap. He can two gap. They need a guy like that. And I just think he's the best player of this draft class. I think he has the highest ceiling in this draft class. I don't know if I want to throw the name Aaron Donald out there because that is a one of one, but he could very easily be a Chris Jones type player. That's maybe a better run defender than what Chris Jones is. And so that's what I view his ceiling as. And that is a guy that if you can get him in the top five, you absolutely have to take him. And Bryce Young, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I noticed it in the middle of the season, though, even when Alabama lost a game, I noticed that the things that made Bryce Young a quality NFL prospect, his ability to read his progressions. And I worried about the height. And there's been plenty of people saying, well, Russell Wilson, you know, five foot 10, this guy's under six foot tall. I see more of a Drew Brees type passer, though, than a Russell Wilson type passer. His ability to use the middle of the field to be able to look through his progressions, it doesn't look like his height hinders him or changes the way that he reads defenses. And so I am much higher on him now than what I was. I don't know if I'm necessarily viewing him as 
an elite number one overall pick quarterback. I don't know if there's a guy like that in this draft, but he's number two on my list. And Will Anderson is just a freak athlete off the edge that can do so many things to torment an offense. And if you're looking for a pass rusher that you can drop back and coverage some, that can do a little bit of everything, Will Anderson's that guy. Now, looking at the rest of my big board, I do have some stark differences from yours. I have Paris Johnson coming in at number four. How much would that shake things up if one of the teams in front of Seattle decided we're going to draft Paris Johnson in the top four? I don't think it happens, but that would really be that ultimate wrench that would work in Seattle's favor, maybe. Either having a quarterback fall to them at five that they could get some trade ammo for to have a team move up, or maybe one of those two defenders I just mentioned falls to number five. And I've got Tyree Wilson at number five on my list. I just love what I see on film. And I know there's a lot of fans out there that are skeptical about a Big 12 defender, especially with the Seahawks track record with Big 12 defenders being picked early. But this kid is just a different animal. 6'6", 275 pounds, can win with power, can win with speed. He's got to work in his hands a little bit. But the things that he needs to work on are not effort related. And so I think that Tyree Wilson has a chance to really be a special player. And not a surprise, I've got a running back in my top 10. Now, this does not mean that I think that Bajan Robinson is going to get picked in the top 10 picks. I would be surprised if he's not, to be honest with you. I think he is that kind of a talent at 220 pounds. He could run through people. He can run around people. He can catch the ball. He can pass protect. He's as complete of a pack as you're going to see coming into the NFL. And he is number one. He is the alpha dog in a really good running back class. And so I I think he is just outside the top five in terms of talent. I don't know where that lands him in the draft being a running back. And then Devon Witherspoon. I've gotten some flack from people online about this because I've mentioned he's my number one corner and there's several other corners that are in the mix there, but Witherspoon just watched the tape in the game against Michigan. Some of the big hits that he made in that game, the coverage, sticky, physical, he's a good athlete, he's got great ball skills. Every game that I watched Illinois this year, and I watched him for a few reasons. I like the running back Chase Brown as well. But this kid, every time, just pops off the screen. He checks off every box you're looking for. Seahawks have not taken a corner in the first round. How crazy would it be if they picked one at number five overall? They traded down a few spots and picked one. Witherspoon across from Tariq Woolen. That would be a really interesting secondary. And for the rest of my big board here, at number eight, I've got Miles Murphy. I have him lower than Wilson because I do have some questions about him as a run defender. That is my biggest question mark with him. C.J. Stroud comes in at number nine on my list, so I do have two quarterbacks in my top ten. I just have some questions about him not coming with his A game sometimes. The consistency this year was not there. Now, maybe he was trying to keep himself healthy because the draft's coming up. I've read some things that he might have been playing through an injury, but I just didn't always see him bringing his A game. And so that's something that concerns me a little bit as an NFL draft evaluator. And then at number 10 on my list, I had a running back and I've also got a safety, my third Alabama player, Brian Branch, in my opinion, is the most complete safety in this draft class. And I would put Skinner from Boise State just behind him. I think Skinner has a chance to go in the top 15 picks in this draft. He is a big time talent. He's six foot four. But I just don't see the natural coverage skills consistently from him that I see from Brian Branch, a guy that can go out and get a bunch of pass breakups. He had two picks last year. He had three sacks. You can blitz him. He can play in the box. He can play as a single high safety. He is one of those gadget safeties you can move all over the field. A phenomenal athlete. So Brian Branch is one of my top 10 players as well. 
And Quentin Johnston from TCU would be just outside. He'd be my number one receiver at pick number 11. But this is our top 10 big board. <laughs> yeah, and, and if we're going, you know, bracketology, Joe Lenardi, the first one out for me would definitely be Brian Branch. I, I'm a huge Brian Branch fan as well. Um, he's just a do-everything safety. He's that, you know, 21st century, 20, you know, 2020s decade era kind of safety you need in, in this game. And you know, I know the Seahawks have Jamal Adams and they have, they have Quandre Diggs, but, you know, we, we, we've seen that it's not enough. And, you know, it's the injury past of Jamal Adams. Quandre Diggs isn't getting any younger. You got to have a guy that he's pretty much an ace in the hole. It, is, uh, it would be Brian Branch. So I, I'm not saying the Seahawks should take him at five, but if they somehow scored him, you know, later on, that would be a fantastic, fantastic uh, coup because he's he's easily one of the best, if not most complete defensive backs in this whole draft. If he somehow was there at number 20, I think John Schneider would at least consider him. I don't view him as a player they would pick at number five. Uh, Bajan Robinson is not going to be in that mix. Now, if he falls to number 20, I have learned never to count John Schneider out drafting a running back early, especially with Rashad Penny heading towards free agency again, as is Travis Homer. I would be stunned. Even I would be stunned if they did that. But um, he is that kind of a talent, though. Him and Ken Walker the third together, he'd be taking football back to 1980 with that. I don't want to get that energy out there too much because then John Schneider probably will do it when we get to late April. So anyway, we'll have a chance to hit those big boards again later in the off season as we get closer to the draft. And I'm sure with the combine and things like that, those don't sway my top tens that much at the end of the day. I look at the football, I look at the film and what I see, but if you have a guy that just totally torches the combine you can climb into the top 10 potentially. And so we'll have plenty of time here to revisit those top 10 big boards as we go. It's time to get back to free agency because that's much closer to happening than the draft. The beginning of the league year coming up on March 15th, we're going to continue our free agency frenzy looking at the AFC South division and talking about a few from that that might be. We'll get to those picks coming up next year on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. This NBA season is now at the midway point, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player double parlays. For example, you can bet on Luka Doncic to win the NBA All-Star Game MVP at plus 1,000. FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay, so don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more of FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Blue Friday episode of Locked on Seahawks. I'm Corbin Smith. Joining me, my co-host, Nick Lee, and a special thanks to all the 12s that are listening in for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Time to continue our free agent frenzy. We've looked at the AFC East. We've looked at the AFC North. Now it's time to go to the AFC South, which is an oddly named division when you consider some of the teams that are in this division, <clears throat> Indianapolis Colts, for example. 
We're going to be looking at those four teams, and Nick, you and I are going to pick one pending free agent from each of those rosters that would pique the Seahawks' interest. We are going to start with the worst of the worst, the Houston Texans, number two overall pick, though, thanks to winning that game against the Colts at the end of the season. The one that you and I are both like, really? Why'd you have to win that game, Lovey Smith? But the Texans still only won three games the entire season, so maybe not the most appealing free agents, but... In your case, there may be a player that Seahawks fans know pretty darn well that maybe coming back for a second stint would make some sense. Well, I was just looking at the free agents for the Texans, and you know, in, in the you know, got Rasheem Green, Kevin Pierre Lewis, Philip Dorsett. I mean, it's just the OB1. You know, I haven't heard these names in a long time. You know, what in the name of the 2018 Seahawks is going on over here? Um, yeah, so I know it's not saying, you know, the sexiest pick, you know, well, the, the Texans aren't really sexy right now. Um, I'm going to go Rasheem Green. That's kind of a weird thing to say. Three and a half sacks, 12 pressures, and eight quarterbacks hit, quarterback hits last year in a reserve role. So it's like you know, he, he was decently productive. And obviously, he wouldn't be a feature piece. It would be a nice depth, maybe a redemption story. And this time around, you know, he wouldn't have that same pressure at, at, you know, playing for the team that drafted him or you know, staying on that, that draft you know, contract. He's been around the block a little bit more now. He's got a bit more seasoning, even though it's just a couple of years removed. But I just like a little. He was pretty productive in, in a reserve role there in Houston for a terrible team. And obviously, you know, you're not going to bring him in and pay him to, to get 12 plus sacks. But you know, to have to bring in some draft picks, maybe another free agent, and then bring him in to compete and, and maybe you know find some production there in the pass rush. I don't totally hate Rasheem Green. He's still really young, and I know Pete Carroll really likes him. Um, so with, with some of the production he's had lately, um, you know, maybe there's still something there to pick him up and, and, and re-up that interest. It's odd that I'm going to be saying this, but one of the free agents that I am most enamored by heading into this process is actually coming from the Houston Texans. And a lot of times when you look at these really bad teams, the free agents that are going to be hitting the market, there's a reason that they're going to be hitting the market on a bad football team. But I'm really excited about this kid, Ob- Obanaya. Okoronkwo, who played four years for the Rams, so he's familiar with the NFC West, and last year he had his coming out party for the Houston Texans, and you look at him, six foot four, around 255, 260 pounds, so he fits that prototypical outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense. He played for the Rams, who have used some 3-4 principles. The Texans used some of that last year. And so he's going to have some familiarity already playing in some similar schemes. And I'm not looking at him as a starter, but this kid had five sacks. His pressure rate was almost 14% last year, which is better than what the Seahawks had on their roster. And he had an 81-plus grade from Pro Football Focus for rushing the passer. Now, his run defense was hit and miss last year. He had some games he was really good, some games where he wasn't. But I view this as a player that is – not Uchenna Nwosu 2.0, but he's a mid-20s player that just finally got his opportunity to play some snaps last year, and he fully capitalized on it with a bad football team. He was one of their best players on defense, and going into free agency, you might be able to get him on a two-year deal that ends up being a bargain and add another weapon that can rush in a reserve role behind Uchenna Nwosu, maybe even start on the other side for you with numbers that he put up for the Texans last year. Seems like he's just scratching the surface of the player that he can be and would be an exciting free agent addition that I don't think you'd have to break the bank to sign it. 
All right, yeah, let's talk yeah. Indianapolis Colts now, Nick, switching over to the team that was the biggest disappointment in the AFC South last year. There were people that thought the Colts were a dark horse Super Bowl contender. Instead, they hired Jeff Saturday as an interim coach, and everything just went off a cliff, and now they've got the number four pick. Which pending free agent for the Colts do you think would be most interesting in a Seahawks uniform? You know, I, I know we've done this song and dance before uh, with this guy, um, and he's not a top dog really anymore, but Yannick Ngakwe. And I'm, I'm, I really want to, to boost that, that that pass rush, the interior, the uh, front seven. You know, we're going to pounding the table for offensive line and front seven on defense in, in this offseason. And there's still something there, obviously, because 19 and a half sacks and 39 quarterback hits in the last two years, that's not nothing. And so Yannick Ngakwe is still making plays, and he will just barely be 28 years old when the next season starts. So, yes, I know we've done a little bit of the song and dance with him in, in, in past off seasons. And uh, but really, in the last two years, he has come on and, and, and said, yes, I'm still very, very much a productive pass rusher, even if he's not, you know, a Pro Bowl premier pass rusher anymore. I think he's a guy that can come in here and, and give you eight, nine sacks, which will be perfectly great with with some of the other pieces the Seahawks have around him, hopefully some draft picks, too. Um, but, yeah, just he's still pretty on. He's on the right side of 30 still and almost 20 sacks in the last two years. Uh, give me Yannick Ngakwe. I would worry about the cost potentially getting inflated on that from a scheme perspective. But like you said, the sacks are there every year. The guy gets after the quarterback year in, year out. And he's been a player that we have been asking the Seahawks, pleading the Seahawks to sign for, I think, like 10 years now, basically since he ever became available with the Jaguars. Like, bring Yannick Ngakwe in. I got to go to the linebacker position, though, with Jordan Brooks, potentially missing a large chunk of the upcoming season. Cody Barton's going to be a free agent himself next month. Bobby Okereke is one of the most underrated linebackers in the NFL. He's a tackling machine, 148 tackles last year, and he makes impact plays. This is a guy that gets a lot of tackles near the line of scrimmage. He gets into the backfield. In the past, he had some blitzing skill as well. They didn't do that much with him last season, so he didn't have many pressures. I think he only had four in the season, but he had four pass breakups. He's been solid in coverage. He's a little smaller linebacker. He's in the 235 range, but he plays much bigger than that. He plays like a thumper. He's cerebral. He gets downhill. He he diagnoses plays really well. And he might be a player just because he doesn't always do the flashy things. He might be a player that you can get on a one or two year deal that you don't have to break the bank on. He's not an all pro or pro bowl linebacker, but I could see him being a pro bowl caliber player because the guy goes out and he just produces year in year out. Still a pretty young player would make a lot of sense. Even with Jordan Brooks, if he comes back beginning of the season, Jordan Brooks and Bobby Okereke playing next to each other would be a lot of fun. And this is one of those guys that I think can play in a 4-3 as well as a 3-4 defense because he can do a little bit of everything. He's just a really well-rounded middle linebacker for today's pass-happy NFL offense. can also get after it on the run game as well. Let's go down to the division champions and the team that took Patrick Mahomes and company down to the wire, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they're in a position now where they're not necessarily going to be having a lot of big name free agents hit the market. They're going to be able to resign and they still got some cap space at the same time. There might be some quality rotational pieces that become available for teams like the Seahawks to pluck away from a quality playoff team. 
Yeah, it was tough to 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 gauge some of this because they do have a couple of quality pass rushers that that I think will be on the market. But for me, it, the, the slim the pickings were a little bit slim after that. And I, I do like Jamichael Hasty running back, um, just, just as obviously not a number one or maybe even not a number two guy. You know, not certainly not a one A or one B guy, but definitely a guy that that's uh, that can be versatile in the backfield. He has forty three receptions in the last two years, so you know he's got some good hands out of the backfield. Can be there on third downs. He can be a good third down back. Um, and, and he also can return kicks. He's returned kicks a little bit for the Jaguars as well. So good, you know, versatile, you know, lower end r- running back that, that can give you some depth and some carries with, if, you know, the injuries pile up, which, you know, with the Seahawks, the, the injuries have piled up plenty on the running back side because they, they they're used heavily. But Jamichael Hayes, is certainly not, you know, a premier running back. But as far as depth goes, you could do a lot worse than him, especially um, with his ability in the pass game on third down. And he's a pretty good zone scheme runner as well, going back to college and playing with the 49ers when he first came into the league. And so schematically, it would make a lot of sense. Now, you mentioned pass rushers. There is one in particular that I've always had. I'll say I've had kind of a soft spot for him since he came into the league. And his production's been up and down. There's been a few injuries sprinkled in there. But Dewan Smoot is a player that I think has enough positional versatility that he can play in a 3-4 at 265, 270 pounds. He has played some snaps in his career as a three-tech. Not a ton, but he's played some, and he can also play outside. He's a good athlete, and he gets after the quarterback consistently. The last three years, he's had at least 32 quarterback pressures, including 50 in 2021. That's really the number that I look at, and there's been some sack production in the last three years as well. So it's not like he's one of those guys that gets a boatload of pressures and then gets one sack. This guy gets to the quarterback. He's disruptive. His run defense, on the other hand, has been very shaky up and down. So that might make him an unappealing player, especially when you consider the Seahawks issues they had last year. At the same time, I've seen enough on film to suggest to me that with a different coaching staff, maybe a change of scenery, that this is still a guy that can develop into a steady run defender to go with the pass rushing that he's had the last three years. And I just look at him as a guy that could be a little bit of an interchangeable piece for the Seahawks on their defensive line in this hybrid 3-4 scheme where they still do some four-man fronts. He could do some stuff on pass rushing downs, rotating inside as well. Let's finish up the division. Another team that was disappointing last year, but at least they had injuries to blame for it for the most part. The Tennessee Titans. And Nick, I admit, when I looked at their free agent list, this might have been the best overall list in terms of talent that would make sense for the Seahawks to go after in this entire division. Maybe they didn't have the best player in this division to sign, but overall, this is a pretty interesting free agent crop, and they've got some cap issues, so a few of these guys may be available. Yep, and I'm going to hit you know the, the front seven, the pass rush hard, and the, and the trenches hard. Yep. And here we go again with, with Demarcus Walker out of the Tennessee Titans. I really like him, and, and so does Pro Football Focus, in fact. He had a 72.8 overall grade, and pretty solid grades when you talk about pass rush versus run defense. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, 32 pressures, 16 hurries, eight hits as well, uh, with a seven sacks. So pretty darn productive, um, you know, pass rusher, defensive end. So again, another guy that I think would, of the, all the guys that I've talked about at least, would probably be your best option as far as a defensive end. And he he kind of can switch a little bit. He's got a little versatility um, with his size and what he's what he's done for a couple teams. So um, just with the production and and some of the the peripheral grades that he got this year. I think he would be a great fit and he's not a liability against the run too, which 
I, I, like you mentioned, there's a few guys on here who would be a great fit with the pass rush, but maybe a bit of a liability against the run. I think uh, Walker would not be, whether he's maybe not elite. I think he's a, a more one of the more complete defensive ends, um, and on, without being super top tier, that I think that the Seahawks might have a chance to get in free agency. Walker is on my short list for edge guys because he has played in a 3-4 defense for most of his career. He started with the Denver Broncos, and he played for Vic Fangio. So there's some reasons why you would believe the Seahawks would have some interest, especially with him coming off a season where he really turned the corner as a pass rusher. Away from Okoronkwo, the other player that's really high on my free agent list that I'm hoping somehow becomes available, and I've loved this guy since he played at Charlotte. He was one of my favorite fast risers in the draft class back in 2019. And that is Nate Davis, a 316-pound mauler. He can play zone. He can play gap. This guy has been a fantastic run blocker his entire NFL career. And you got to be playing Tennessee with Derrick Henry behind you. He's had at least a 69.8 run blocking grade from PFF each of the last three seasons. What has been a struggle for him has been pass protection, at least until last year. Last season, even though he missed some time with an injury, he only gave up 14 pressures on almost 400 pass protection reps, which you will take that any year from your guards or centers. Now, he was not that efficient his first three seasons in the league. Sometimes he can be a little bit in terms of work, but a player in the film that I've watched, still a very young player at the guard position, and he's a smaller guy, but he gets after it physically. He can bully people. I just think he would bring some physicality and toughness to this run game that the Seahawks have not had the last couple of years of that right guard position. You get significantly younger, and he would be one of the few free agents that I would actually be willing to splurge a little bit money-wise and go sign him because he's young. He seems like he's just coming into his own as a pass protector, and I think you could make him work with the scheme. He's been able to do zone and gap blocking in the run game. He's improving in pass protection. So Nate Davis is on my short list of somebody I would love to see in a Seahawks uniform, and I, I think he would check off one of their major needs on either side of the football. And so him and Okoronkwo, those two are my studs from the AFC South division that I would like to see in a Seahawks uniform, of course, at the right price. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. You can check out Locked on Seahawks. We're available on all major podcast platforms and streaming video form five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on Monday, we'll be back with our latest Mock Draft Monday, and we're going to give the fans a chance to weigh in a little bit. We'll be handpicking some Mock Drafts from our listeners, and Rob Rang and I will be grading those out on Monday. Looking forward to it. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.